What's up, y'all? My name is T. Shaw, and this is Brewing Black Podcast, where the contents we serve you is authentic, vulnerable, and relatable. That means we serve you with no cream and no sugar. I guess I like my coffee black! What's good, Brewers? Long time no see. It's T. Shaw. And this is Scalopy, and we want to welcome you to the Brewing Black. Um, Brewing Black is giving you the latest in black news and entertainment. And this is for our intellectuals, our millennials, and those who like their information like we like our news. Black. <laughs> Tell them where we at, T. Bro, we in L.A. Um, so I want to do a quick land acknowledgement. That's the land of the Gabrielino and the Tongva. This is stolen land. This is colonized land. And we will always, always, always pay those respects. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and, and we want to we want to give a quick shout out to everyone across the nation who uh, is celebrating St. Patrick's Day. Um, L.A. Um, just sort of op- open back up a little yeah. bit on, on this past Monday. So people are starting to get out. Um, shout out to all my uh, Bostonians um, from back in the day. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember <laughs> we we've had, we had many of, we had many an adventure doing our pub crawl. So shout out to y'all. I know we can't do it the same way like we used to this year, probably, but uh, shout out to all the people that I made those memories with. Um, I, I love y'all. And I'm thinking about about y'all especially um you know uh during these days absolutely bro i almost forgot that it was saint patrick's day uh (laughs) the only green i've been thinking about was the stimulus that hit my uh bank account shout out to the steamy uh what they call joe (laughs) they said money bag joe (laughs) money bag joe oh my god but yeah yeah, i I feel like i don't know especially for me like i haven't really been outside the last like two days I went I got to go on a nice little walk but like I until I saw other people wearing green I definitely didn't think about it so when I came home I looked at the calendar and I realized absolutely yeah I mean uh St. Patrick's Day is uh super super interesting a lot a lot of fun to be had but I, I'm sort of the same way where it's like I don't be having no reason to go outside to oh, yeah. like I'm, I'm really I've really been a, a homebody um I, I don't think I've Actually, no, you know what? I, I went and, and got a another uh, COVID test test today just, hey, just to make sure I'm good. But that's safe. the only time I've been out. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I drank yesterday, so I didn't feel like taking no shots. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's, why I'm, that's why I'm just wearing wearing green. Um, I want to give a special shout out to my my uh, my dad and my brother who both have birthdays. Uh, my dad's birthday is tomorrow. My little brother's birthday is on Saturday. Okay. Um, so, you know, March is a, a, a big um, month month for me in that regard. Um, and my, my mom's maiden name is Green. So, you know, <laughs> everything is just hitting. Everything oh, me, oh me, tis the season, tis the season. <laughs> um, but without further ado, we we want to um, get into something that um, we we always get into. If you listen to us, um, it is something called the light roast. Yeah. Now, for those of you who don't know, um, the light roast is when we criticize someone uh, or something in society. Um, when we try to give them some constructive feedback um, when possible. Mm. Um, and, you know, we're, we're going to, and I'm going to let T. Shaw really tell y'all about this, but um, this, this past week, you know, it seemed like all sorts of craziness happened. Um, people popped off, um, you know, 
literally verbally and unfortunately with firearms. Right. Yeah. And so um, we, we want to send our uh, love and our condolences um, to all families impacted um, by, by the shooting that happened in Atlanta. Um, and, you know, like I said, I'm going to let Tisha talk, give you more details about it. Um, but basically after this, this coward, this thug um, shot and killed, was injured many people, but killed eight Asian Americans. Mm -hmm. There was a a police captain. um, No. And, and his, and his name, um, let me see his, his name is uh, Jay Baker. Um, And Jay Baker was talking about the guy. I I don't really even want to name him and give him that, that that credit, but, but the shooter, um, his initials are AL. So y'all can go look that up on your own. But he said that this young man was having a bad day. Um, and, and made some, made some crazy decisions and we got us, we got to give that a roast because this man wasn't having a, a, a bad day. He um, was just a terrorist, absolutely. right? Call um, it what it is. Right, right. He, he was calculated in what he did. Um, he, he wasn't having a bad day and guess what? Even if you were having a bad day, that doesn't give you the right, um, to, to go kill multiple people. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I just think it's so interesting that like white men get to have bad days when they, when they commit murder. Right. Yeah. But black people are thugs when they're unarmed and, and they die. Uh, Asian, Asian Amer- Americans don't get to have a bad day. Um, when they're, and when they're having a good day, um, they, they get killed um, by, by white supremacy because I don't think that this, that this type of stuff is happening if white men felt like they had, there were real consequences for their actions mm-hmm. um, from the criminal justice system. But um, T tell us more about um, this, this shooting that happened in Atlanta um, and, and give people context for those who might just be hearing about this. Yeah, absolutely. And I really just love your point. Um, just like we're never afforded just having a bad day, right? Like uh, us having a bad day can lead us to uh, losing our job. It can end up losing our life, right? Like rest in peace, Sandra Bland. She had a bad day. She was on her way to an interview um, and a miss of a blinker and um, a little snappy with the police and she lost her life. Right. So I, I think that like it's super important how you pointed out that like this this language. Oh, he just had a bad day and it ended up in other people dying like that. That is not only rooted in privilege. I want to take that further and say that's rooted in power, white power. Right. And we know that white power is white terrorism. Um, so yeah, and that's what this, this country has been built off of. Um, but yeah, so, so, uh, last night or yesterday, um, this shooter went, um, to three different massage parlors, um, and outside of Atlanta, um, where he targeted, um, specifically Asian people and eight Asian people were, uh, killed, uh, mostly women. Um, and I think that that's an important point to point out. Um, a lot of, uh, of, of media have been kind of, uh, speculating today, um, and sp- specifically the, the sheriff, right? Like, just like you said, he said that, oh yeah, this guy was just fed up and yesterday was a real bad day for him. And people don't think that this is racially motivated. Um, and people have been even reporting that, oh, like, no, this just has uh, something to do with like his sex addiction, sex addiction, sex addictions, <laughs> um, and and I, I think it's crazy because people can't see how those two, two are linked, right? Like, it can be a sex addiction, yes, but can we not still see how that is racially motivated, right? Like, right. like he, he, his sex addiction was geared toward Asian women. Like, that that is racially motivated, and we have to be able to uncover that. Like, 
there's still a genderedness in that violence, right? There's still a racial gender genderizing in that violence. Um, and I, I think we just really have to point that out. And I think also like it, it does go hand in hand with like how um, hate crimes have been up about 150% um, toward Asian people since uh, coronavirus has like uh, really rocked the country. And it goes down to rhetoric, right? Like we think about how uh, uh, Trump and the Republicans call it the China virus, blame China for everything, right? Um, and I, I know just like black people, we come from a vast different countries, right? Like, but we're all boiled down to black, right? Like nobody really knows. They call everybody African-American. Like no matter if you're from Haiti, if you're from Nigeria, if you're from Cameroon, if you're from anywhere, right? Like you just African-American. And I think that we kind of do that with Asian. It's like, especially white people, like they don't care. They don't care where you're from. You're Chinese. You're the virus. You're the problem. And we've mm-hmm. been seeing like um, elderly people get just abused on the street, just punched in the face. Sometimes these are like homeless people that um, may not be in the right mind at the time, but like still that rhetoric is what uh, is, is kind of like motivating this stuff. And if you see the guy, like you can tell this guy is somebody who followed Trump, who who's about his guns and different things like that. And I just think it's crazy that we can't understand how racially motivated this attack was like. Because it wasn't only women that was killed. It was some men killed in this parlor as well. But, like, there's a fetishizing of these Asian women. Um, and, and he specifically targeted them to alleviate himself from his uh, his sexual addiction. Um, and, and I think that, like, it's, it's just really crazy to me. Absolutely. And I love what you were saying about um, the sexual <laughs> the sexual addiction not being linked to racism in some people's eyes. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, we're, we've grown we've grown here at Bruin Black and people can't act like you can't go to porn, any porn site mm-hmm. and search for search for certain movies based on race. Right. Exactly. There, there, there are so many different racial stereotypes that 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 happens within the porn industry based on people's um, racially motivated desire, sexual desires. Mm-hmm. So that that's the first thing. So we can never act like the race <laughs> and the sexual addiction weren't weren't intricately linked. Oh. Um, and and I think my fear for America and, and this is something that we've talked about before. But, you know, for all the little white boys out there who are seeing this young man um, go go and, sh- and shoot up all the people like like he did in Atlanta. This is a very big moment for us because mm-hmm. the way that this young man is prosecuted, uh, you know, prosecuted is going to uh, be an example for a, a lot of people, who, uh, a lot of white boys who are thinking about uh, inciting and causing violence, right? Yeah. Um, you know how you handle the people who did the the riots, right? Uh, it, it's sending a message that you know we allow violence to happen in a certain certain way and what i love about us as a people t is that like it's not just about black people being being killed black people mm-hmm. arrive for any type of injustice yeah. that's based on white supremacy right um and so for this white man to come and kill multiple a- asian americans um and and to actually be able to live when he is a actual living threat yeah. it's just so interesting Right. Right. And it's not to say that, you know, he should be shot, shot up on site um, and not, you know, you know, get his life, life imprisonment or or death penalty or whatever they decide. Mm -hmm. But it is to say, how can, you know, Sandra Bland or someone who gives who, who, you know, pushes back verbally on the cops, but is unarmed, find themselves dead when this man has literally killed multiple people and somehow 
his verdict, the verdict there is that he just had a bad day. We're going to let him live, even though he's put, he, he could easily have killed a cop. He could have even killed someone who wasn't Asian American. Right. Yeah. And so I think that America has to pay attention to how um, this man is prosecuted because you're, te- you're teaching a generation of white men what type of what that violence is okay when they're doing it and that they are going to be coddled and protect protected um and not treated like uh the terrorists that some of them have proven themselves to To be be, and 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 that's one of the most dangerous things for me for me with this thing yeah it's just how much um they humanize him right and i think we think about like when george floyd was killed or when michael brown was killed the pictures and the words that they use to talk about these people, right? These people that hadn't even committed a crime. It's like, how are they painted? And then you think about this man and it's like, they're either writing him off as like, they say an incel, like, oh, he hasn't had sex and he's just deviated. And he's just like, he, he wasn't in his right mind or, or it's like, oh, he had a bad day. And it, it, it starts to excuse some of these actions. And it's like, we know what it is at the heart of it. We know what it is. It's a hate toward these people that you feel like you should own in one way, shape or form. Like it not owning maybe a slaves, but it's like he thinks that just like you said, like you can go on these little websites and you can pick and choose who you want uh, to look at. Right. In these little movies. And I think it's that same thing. It's not is knowing that he doesn't have the power to just pick and choose who he wants. He can't just go to these massage parlors and then like he he has these women. Right. And I, I think that that has a lot to do with it. So, yeah, like I think we do have to pay attention to how these people are prosecuted, how these, how, how they're treated also just like in the media and different things like that. Just the rhetoric that's used because it, it shows you the difference that um, between like how we're treated and how other people are treated. And I think it just makes me uncomfortable how much the media is pushing to disassociate this as a, as a hate crime. Um, mm-hmm. So, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it, it it's a tough thing, and you know, once again, we we just want to say to our uh, our Asian American brothers, brothers and sisters, you know, um, to you, you were talking about um, you were giving statistics on the amount of hate crimes and how they've increased, um, and, and it's it's a real thing, and I think that you know this is what solidarity solidarity looks like. I remember when this some of the George Floyd stuff was going on. I had Asian brothers and sisters who were right, who was, who was writing uh, against the violence that was yeah. happening towards black people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this, and this is a family like black people know what it's like to be trampled on because we're still getting trampled on. Right. Um, we, we, we've seen, we've seen this before with, with our own demographic. And so um, we, we Broom black is here to say that like, this is not okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and and unfortunately, yes, these these Asian these Asian Americans like happen to lose their lives, but Asian Americans have been getting targeted for for at least a whole year yeah. just based on the the freaking like coronavirus and and uh and Trump calling it a a Chinese virus. And so mm-hmm. there I think that this is a, a time to step back and say all right. Yes, there's there was this one tragedy, but how else have we been destroying and, and killing Asian Amer- Americans, even if it hasn't been uh, literally right? Yeah. Um, and I think that this is a time for us to reflect as a country, so we so that we can make the proper actions uh, moving forward uh, for our Asian brothers and sisters. Yeah, and when you said that in my head, I don't know if you've seen uh, Life. Well, uh, Eddie Murphy, yeah. he said, we, <laughs> that's what I was thinking. Like we ain't killing nobody. It's them. Right, um, it's right, the same right. people that's killing us is killing them. Right. And, I, but I, I think that that is where we can, just like you said, like show that solidarity. 
Um, I, I saw this article put out by like NBC or something. It was like how black people can be allies to Asian people right now. And it's like, I think everybody was like, why did you bring black people into this? Um, and it, it, it leaves us with a bad taste in our mouth. But I think just like you said, it is important to show that solidarity because I think that like um, I, I've seen some people saying like, man, I seen I, I didn't see no uh, Asian people talking about like George Floyd or uh, Breonna Taylor or Black Lives Matter. So it's like, why should we support? And it's not a large group of people. Right. But I think that like it is important still that like maybe it was one or two people or maybe you didn't see anybody, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't. Uh, this is like a human rights thing. Right. And it's like we're all in this together as much as you don't want to admit it. Like we all in this together and there is anti-blackness um, defined by Gene. Right. Like he talked about how there is so much anti-blackness rooted into this, co- this, this culture in this fabric of the society. Right. But I think that just knowing that like, not all Asian people like that. And it, we are in it together. So it's like, we got to fight this fight together. And I think that like, this is something, and these are ways of speaking about it and looking up some of this stuff is ways that you can start showing that solidarity. I think that that's, it's that genuine thing, right? It's like, it, it got to start from somewhere. Even if you're not seeing that, be that change that you want to see. Absolutely. Start that Absolutely. solidarity. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I, you know, just, just once, once again, NT, I, I think you made a great point because, you know, even if you're, even if you don't feel like we're, we're the ones actively harming Asian Americans because, because we're not, mm-hmm. and we didn't, right. It, it's, it's like you said, it's like we, Black people understand what it's what it's like to be hated by every group under under the sun and not and not just whites. We understand what it's like to see that that anti-black sentiment everywhere, even within ourselves. And so it's it's an we've always sort of set the standard and been been the standard. And for us, what I appreciate about us is that we are we are consistent. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think that this is the time for 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 everyone to, you know, show that solidarity. And even though I have mostly black people on my time on my timeline, I've been seeing so much support yeah. for Asian Americans. Absolutely. What's up, Brewers? Sorry about the technical difficulties. Um, but yeah, we want to jump right back into the show. Scholar P was talking about how we've seen a lot of just solidarity work um, on on our timelines and people shouting out and supporting uh, uh, different communities than theirs. Um, Scholar P, you want to take us into it? Yeah, yeah, be- de- definitely, definitely. So yeah, so um, when we think about supporting, you know, different groups based off race, um, it, it seems like our our royal couple, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry, um, have not felt supported um, by their family members and other uh, uh, people in their circle based on the race of their obviously interracial child. Um, and it's sort of come to a head in, in comments from people like Sharon Osbourne um, and Piers Morgan. Mm. Um, T, will you give people a little bit more context who don't know about what's been going on this past week? Yeah, yeah. So um, Meghan Markle sat down with Oprah, um, I believe it was about a week ago um uh, maybe a little bit over a week ago at this point um but yeah they sat down and she uh did an interview her and prince harry um just about their experience um being in whatever they little castle was called in in uh, great britain living with the royal family and just how she felt um marginalized and just out of place as a black woman um and if y'all seen Meghan markle um she is she's biracial right she is um, if if it's a black woman that can pass in white America, it's gonna be Meghan Markle, 
right? I, I think she has she has long uh, she has long hair, long straight hair, and when you look at her, she is a black woman, but she has a lot of white features. Um, but still, um, they they did not see her as one of them. Um, they did not like her. They did not protect her. They refused to give her or her child, unborn child, uh, security. Right. So it's like in that is kind of showing like they have no value for her. She does not belong. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, Meghan Markle just kind of spoke about how they they were even afraid how uh, dark. Uh, uh, what's the what's the baby name? Do you remember the baby name? Uh, I don't. Let me see here. Uh, I forgot the little baby name. Richard? Maybe not. It's not Richard. <laughs> but yeah, they they were uh scared about how how dark the baby could turn out. Um, and this is the, Archie. The baby, Archie. Archie. Is the Archie. Name. Yeah. And the baby is like twenty five percent black, so it's like it, it's anti blackness, like just uh personified, right? It, it's really put on front stage, like. No matter how light you are, no matter how much you pass, like that one drop rule is a real thing. If you have any black blood in you, people will see you as black. And I think that like that exists to this day. And it's like I'm not surprised by any means because like when we think about Great Britain, like we think of, they are the the starters really of colonialism. They've they've tried to take over the world. Right. They colonize like the Americas. And that's why we're here with the United States. They colonized India. They colonized great parts of uh, Africa, multiple countries. So I think that, like, it's important that, like, we really look at Great Britain, no matter how royal they are and how, like, much money they got, like, they're the starters of this colonial shit. Um, But, yeah, what you think about that, Scholar P? Yeah, it's, I mean, I I just really agree with everything you said. I I think that, you know, to (laughs) no matter how close to whiteness you are, uh, to be anything but white is to be not white at all, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and people treat you like that. They make those um, assumptions. And so um, I, I think that Meghan Markle and Prince Harry's union shakes up uh, the royal family. And I, and I think that, you know, no matter if they want to claim that it's about race or not, that it's, it's clear that that's really all it is it could be about. Um, and I, and I think that, you know, it's, I'm glad that America is seeing this from an international level um, that, you know, racism is not just something that impacts a country like America, whose foundation is slavery, but mm. it impacts every piece of the world. And I'm glad that, you know, um, that, that this couple is, is being shown on an international uh, scale because we get to see just how global, you know, white supremacy is. Um, even when you have a woman who's doing her best to be, a great um, person and woman first, um, a great wife, a great mother. Um, And and, and she's just going through hassles that she absolutely shouldn't have to. Um, I want to talk about um, her, her role as just a woman. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, me and Tisha, me and you, me and you were talking about how um, Piers Morgan, um, you know, felt a certain type of way. So, yeah. uh, you know, t- t- for those of you who don't know, I was looking at some videos that Tisha sent me and um, Piers Morgan was talking about how uh, him and Megan had started talking via, I think it was Twitter. And, you know, one, one day, you know, she, she, she was in his area. She came, um, he got her some drinks. Um, and then he put her in a cab and sent her to this party where she met Prince Harry. Um, and he was being interviewed about it on the show. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about how, um, he never heard from Megan Markle, uh, again, um, after that experience. And he, and you said, and people were like, Oh, you're bitter about it. 
And he's like, no, I'm not bitter, but I'm sad. Um, but as you know, we as men tend to do, sometimes we like to take shots at women who rejected us. And so you see, there was, there was actually, he's on a, a talk show. Um, I think it was uh, BBC mm-hmm. and um, there was a, an anchor there who was basically like, Hey, Piers, like you come at Meghan Markle every chance you get. She hasn't mentioned you. We, you have to be feeling a certain type of way because she rejected you. But guess what? That was her right. And yeah. what does what does what did Piers Morgan do? He gets up and walks off set, um, mm-hmm. right? And I, and I think he quits this his is, job. <laughs> he quits his job, T. And you know, I I can't relate to doing that over a woman, but I think that a lot of times with men. I think we do two things. First of all, I think that sometimes uh, we felt like we did everything right in a situation when we're dealing with a woman and it still didn't work out. And we're like, oh, my gosh, like, you know, how could this woman not talk to me anymore or not reciprocate those feelings? I did everything right. And the, the truth of the matter is that doesn't matter. It's not about doing everything right. You're supposed to treat someone with respect and do everything right anyway. No matter what. Um, yeah. No matter what. Right. Um, and, and guess what? Piers, if an unattractive woman or some woman you weren't, you wasn't interested in, did all the things you did for Meghan Markle, you would feel bad if if she was bitter and about you rejecting her, right? And so I think that we have to remember that. And then the second thing is that as men, when we feel rejected, when we feel hurt, when our ego is bruised, we can't just burn everything to the ground, right? Mm-hmm. Him walking off, off. Uh, not only the set of his job, but then quitting is basically spitting in the face of his producers, his co-hosts and, and um, all the millions of viewers who are tuning in. And I think that sometimes we as men have a tendency to want to destroy everything around us and ruin everything around us for multiple people when we can't get our way. And we, and we go back even, even to the, to the freaking shooter. Um, Mm -hmm. Right. Even, even going back to AL, you know, he, he couldn't, he couldn't have, access to these women so what does he do he, he causes mass destruction and chaos yes. right and so Piers Morgan didn't do that d- d- didn't do it on that level but he did cause chaos mm-hmm. um, and he was very unprofessional because he couldn't get his way and I think that he's a great example of what men shouldn't do even when you do feel rejected even when your pride is bruised because it's a part of the game baby yeah. don't hate Megan baby hate the game yeah absolutely oh bro <laughs> can we give it up for that man scholar P bro he was in his bag he was was preaching because look like i think this conversation is so important to have knowing that it's women's history month too right like i think then like we're real advocates and we're real allies we have to be able to call this stuff out and call this stuff in right and I, i think that this is so important just to think about how violent and petty men can be when they do feel rejection and I, I think that, like, we see that violence perpetuated in two ways, looking at these two cases that we were just talking about. Uh, so with Atlanta, we see uh, this young white man who, again, doesn't have access to these women. And he takes that rage out on them and kills multiple people going, going on just a terrorism spree. But Piers Morgan, in a way, has been like an emotional terrorist. He has taken every shot, every shot, bro. And it's not just been these last this last week. No, it's been over the years. Right. Since uh, Meghan Markle has gotten with Prince Harry, he is taking it personal and taking these shots at this woman every every chance that he's gotten. And I think that, like, just like you said, just looking at that back history and that backstory, like he is hurt. 
He said it. He said it himself. She was like, you seem bitter. And he was bitter. And he is hurt. And you hear it in how he talks about Megan. And I think that, like, at our worst, that's when that's when those those ugly things come out. And that's when his racism comes out, right? Like, the, the comments he said have been racially insensitive. And they've been racially tinged. But it's like, you didn't feel that way when you were courting her. And I think that, mm-hmm. like, us as men, like... I, we we see it all the time, right? Like if a girl turns us down, it's like that's why you ugly anyway. That's why you fat anyway. That's why you this and that anyway, right? That's why you a hoe. That's why you were this. That's why you were that. And it's like that. That's only just to make us feel a little bit better on why. Like oh, I ain't need her. She was a she was a thought. I don't I don't need no thoughts. Like I don't need her in my life. Like and I, I think it's a defense mechanism. But we have to like. We have to uh, unequip that, bro. Like, cause it's it, it's rooted just in something so ugly. Like, if you didn't need her, you didn't really need her, bro. Like, if you got other other women on your phone, like, you better hit them up. Like, I so I I can't understand why. Like, I, I no, let me take that back. I do understand why we have the, the that uh, reaction, right? Cause it it just it hurts, and we have to like mask that in some way, and we mask that with our masculinity. But I, I think that it is important to really put that on display to really highlight that if we're really trying to uh work to like to be feminist right um to, to be uh these these support like I, I think we saw it trending like support black women support women right it has to be in our daily day-to-day actions and and when we're rejected when we're uh, uh embarrassed that's when like violence comes out like I remember hearing this case early in January. There was a woman that uh, turned down a man's advances in like a liquor store or something. She was just, I think she said she had a long day. She just wanted to get back to her kids. She went to go grab a bottle of wine from the corner store. And the man like, hey, let, let me get that for you. And she was like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm cool. Like, I got it. Like, I got money. Like, it's cool. He trying to holler at her. And then he was like, fine. And punches her, bro. And really takes off on her, steals her phone and really like just mobs on her. And and I'm I'm so glad because I I want to say this was in Harlem like the community came out to support this woman they were standing outside the door they was really hunting this dude down they was trying to find him and that's what supporting women really looks like but I I think again we really have to be able to check our friends and check ourselves and how how we react toward women when we do feel that rejection because it hurts like when I told you this story about uh about Pierce Morgan just sending her in the cab and then she finds the love of her life you was like dang t bro for real like i feel for him and like as a man you feel for him because i i know we've all been in positions where we 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 didn't had a baddie bro like somebody we really feeling and like something didn't go well but to really like to to i don't know scorn her existence and really wish like harm upon her and inflict that violence in some way shape or form it's it's not okay no, not absolutely not, absolutely not. But but see, I, I think you you make a great point. Like we've we've all been there, and it's like you don't know that you support women when everything's good. You know you know you support women when you're challenged and you're challenged and by women, and and you can react with grace and humility mm-hmm. and, and still support them, right? And that's that's the real test. I think that a lot of people 
um, a lot of men do lip service and say, yeah, we, we love women. We support women until it comes time for you to be criticizing, for you to realize that you're part of the problem. And mm-hmm. I think that that's honestly what happened with Sharon Osbourne too, because yeah. um, for those of you who don't know, she, she sort of went off saying that, you know, the Royal family, you know, isn't, isn't racist and that this wasn't a race issue. Um, and when she got the backlash, like, like Tisha was saying earlier, she felt like, um, she had been set up and, and I'm sure that she feels like, um, she wasn't a racist white woman or didn't have that racist sentiment in her, but you can, you can tell how she reacted or, or what she was really thinking how, by how, the, by how she reacted when she was challenged, yeah. when she, when, when, when we said, Hey, Sharon, that was really crazy. That was really racist. The way you reacted and, and you went off and like, can you really accept that with grace or are you going to be very defensive or are you going to give us those white w- women tears? And mm-hmm. for those of you who don't know, a white woman's tears is when white women hear that they've hurt someone else, that they've harmed someone else. And instead of taking responsibility, they victimize themselves and gain, gain support from others by crying and using and weaponizing their tears. Yeah. Um, and, and it's something that happens in the workplace it's something that happens socially and it's something that pisses a lot of black people off and a lot of people of color off not because that white women don't deserve the chance to cry but if you're going to cry cry because harm has been done to you not because you're trying to deflect from the harm you did to someone else and so um see i I think you make a great point like we don't know who we are in terms of how we uh, interact with the minoritized group until we're called out by that minoritized group or by the society at large. And we have to look in the mirror and actually, um, you know, deal with our own prejudices, our own biases um, and, and move forward in, in a better way, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like the talks co-host said, I think her name's Elaine. She said, if you can't stand the heat, get out the kitchen. And she brought herself in the kitchen. Like she brought herself into this. So for her to say that she feels like she's been set up or she feels like she's been wronged and and exposed, like she's really just been exposed for her opinion. But she went out of her way to tweet Piers Morgan to say, I am with you. I stand by you. Uh, people forget that you're paid for your opinion and you're just speaking your truth. But that doesn't make you not racist. Right. And I, I think that that's where, like, I really draw the line because she she Sharon Osbourne talks about how her and um. What's his name? Uh, her and Piers Morgan are royalist, and that um, like royalist means that you just like you you back uh, the crown, like you believe in the crown, and like they're just they. She was saying like, oh, that's just the generation they're from, so they're always going to protect the crown because that's the most important thing um, about the country, and like that's just his 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 ideology, right? Um, but that I th- I think a royalist like conservatives here. Um, because I, I think when we're talking about protecting an institution and, and caping for an institution that perpetuates violence across the globe based on skin color, based on uh, uh, class, based on uh, just the fact that they're not white, I, I think that then being a royalist does make you racist. Like if you can't see past like the 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 atrocious things that they're doing like if you really cape for some somebody or something you want to hold them people accountable but that's not what they're doing they're just blindly following and i think that that's where it really goes wrong and sharon osborne and pierce morgan um not only like i I think that they choose to put on this uh this colorblind ideology right 
it's like saying like, oh, I, I can't see how race matters. Why would you bring up race in this situation as white people? And it's like you're that that makes you complicit. Therefore, that makes your actions racist. I know we did talk about on a podcast, like try not to label people as racist or label people as things because it's not as productive. But sometimes you got to call them like you see it. And it's like if you going out of your way to protect some racist, like you racist. And I think that it just is what it is. And it's like you she volunteered her opinion. Yeah, she's paid for her opinion, too. She's a co-host on the talk show. On the talk. Uh, so it's like, I don't understand how you were set up because like you offered your opinion. So, yeah, yeah, I, I'm just I'm just very just uh, befuddled, if you will. <laughs> Not befuddled. <laughs> Not befuddled. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. And just I, I guess I guess one of my last points on this is, is just, yeah, first of all, you can't you can set you can only get set up when you receive something that you weren't expecting, not when you give give something that you planned yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Like she she knew what she she was going to say, or at the very least, she knew what she wanted to say. She could have filtered herself, mm-hmm. but she didn't. So how how we set you up with with your own words? This wasn't <laughs> this this wasn't like you, you were misquoted, baby. There was a whole video, right? So I I think that that that's the first thing. And then you know, going back to what Shan was talking about in terms of supporting someone's opinion will look Sharon I'm not gonna call you baby girl I'm not gonna patronize you as a woman but you you can't then get upset about other people expressing their opinions and critiques about you you Mm -hmm. can't do that that's not how it works (laughs) well I hear the B Simone come out in you (laughs) Look, 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 baby girl. You can't, you can't, you shouldn't, I wouldn't do that. And so um, I think that this is a learning moment for her. And look, for any white woman who actually wants to sincerely apologize to a person of color you've offended, because I'm sure it will happen. Every, every, you know, privileged group um, oppresses a minoritized group in some way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. This is not how you do it. This is not a genuine, genuine apology. Do not weapon your tears please we will come for you you will be critiqued uh because we are tired of seeing this bullshit so um (laughs) look sharon get your act together um all of it all of it was was sort of um toxic and you know speaking of you know the toxic relationships whether it be you know how peers reacted with with megan or how freaking sharon acted acted when everybody else came for her um you know you know this wasn't the only this week was not only filled with those types of relationships because we're talking about the royal family but you know even in our gospel families Mm -hmm. we we've seen the toxicity brother um so for those of you who don't know you know, one of our one of our favorite gospel legends, Kirk Franklin. Holy, holy! You know, the, <laughs> do you want stop. a revolution? Yes, God, all God's people. Um, he he was caught in a in a fray. He was recorded by his his son. Um, it, I think it's Carrion uh, uh, or Carrion Franklin, and it was they they were talking, and he called him a you know a. a, a a bitch ass nigga. He said he was going to put his foot in his ass. He was calling him all types of skinny. And, um, you know, carry on Frank and also said, you know, uh, you know, you know, shut the fuck up and all this stuff. So there was a lot of back and forth. Yeah. I dare you. Yeah. I dare you. And so 
here at Brewing Black, we are not going to try to, you know, pick a side, right? We don't know Kirk. We don't know Kerryon. Um, but what we do, but what we do understand is that toxic relationships happen between, you know, families. And we sort of wanted to have a bigger conversation about that. And so, see, without necessarily taking a side, what did this, this exchange um, and the way that people are perceiving this exchange uh, make you think about as a relationship? to toxic family relationships yeah bro i, I mean like it, it was funny because i feel like he attempted to the son the son is a grown man i want y'all to know the son is about 33 y'all and right. i think when i first heard this i was like okay he was cussing out like i don't know i was thinking he was probably like 15 and some and i'm like well i don't know bro i've been cussed out like i don't think it's the most healthy like exchange and but I, I don't think it's like it it hasn't traumatized me in any way. Like I, there's times I've done some stuff to be cussed out. So I, I I felt like I understood that, but I felt like I needed more context. And I found out he was a grown man, and I was like, okay, so this is just a dispute between two grown people. And I I feel like it's just like I don't like the saying like what happens in the family stays in the family, but like that's not. Uh, I want to say this apart from like the toxic ways it's been said when it like I'm not excusing anybody that like abuses their family members and different things like that right especially like men and women but I think when it comes down to like this is family business like there's no reason he should have recorded him his dispute with his father about whatever it was and put it on social media for for like the world to hear and I felt like it was funny because I feel like the black community, black Twitter at least, rallied around Kirk Franklin and was proceeded to cuss him out as well. But I do think that I saw a lot of people kind of like joining the conversation, talking about like just the ways they have been abused, whether that be physically, verbally, um, emotionally, spiritually by their parents um, and, and how that the, the words exchange reminded them of that and how how we shouldn't excuse this. But I, I don't think that Kirk Franklin really needed to put out an apology. I think that that's the one thing that really stood out to me because he wasn't apologizing to his son. No, 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 not at all. If you listen to the apology, he is apologizing to us, his fans, to 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 see him in this light. But he is not sorry for what he said to him because, again, it's between the family. So I, I do think that, like, it, it does make me want to think about, like, the ways in which, like, our relationships with our parents must evolve as we get older. Because I think there has to be mutual respect. And I think sometimes parents do not respect their children. And they always see them as children. But they can be adults. And it's like there has to be a healthy respect between the two as they grow. Um, so I, I, I that, I'm definitely interested in 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 the ways that the, the the relationship should grow but i want to say that that wasn't a healthy exchange by any means but kirk franklin will not cannot be canceled that's that's god's warrior i, I look look I, i'm gonna tell you i'm gonna tell you like this t that man has been healing my whole life since at least 1998 <laughs> at least 1998 um and uh, sh- shoot i was listening to, to kurt Franklin today to get get through some slumps so like i so I, I think that there is a legendary aspect and i think that you know kirk has been through a, a lot 
And I respect his journey. I res- I do think that he's been touched by God of the universe or whatever you believe in. I, I truly think that this man is living in his passion and is gen- truly genuine in, in healing people through his music. Um, and I will say, you know, I've had much much worse, much more dangerous exchanges with my own father than this. So for me, I was looking at it like, all right. And, and this is when I was much, I'm younger than Kirk, Kirk Franklin's son, son then, but I was damn near half my, half that my age than I am now when I had had my, had way more dangerous exchanges with my father and, and way, and way crazier threats. Mm-hmm. So I, for me, I think that I looked at this situation and I was just like, we don't know the whole context and I, I'm not going to, I can't throw Kirk Franklin under the bus because some, some children are pariah to their parents. Some children are do, do crazy things that are outside the box and, and parents have tried everything that they can. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, um, the shooter, the shooter had parents who yeah. knows how they raised that man. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Who know who, who knows the trials and tribulations uh, that that man put, put his parents, parents through. Right. But what I, on the other side of it, because people I've been seeing stuff on my on my social media all week. I think this this context is different if Kirk if Kirk is someone who has a longstanding history of abuse because you know mm-hmm. these are two grown men at this particular point. We have no idea if this this type of conversation and exchange has happened with them since since the man was smaller. He he posted a response about how like I think maybe since seventh or eighth grade, um at seven or eight, great Kirk stopped, you know, allowing the guy, him to travel with them and their relationship just sort of soured. So we have no idea who Kirk is behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, next week, two or three more people could like come out and say stuff about Kirk. We, we have no idea, yeah. but, but what this made, what this made me think about too, T was, this is why, you know, you want to watch your exchange, even when, your children are kids. You know what I'm saying? Because I think that, you know, us as a people, we, we talk about, you know, wanting to protect our, our black children from trauma. So we, we handle them with a certain amount of, of toughness and strictness. Um, but at the same time, I think that there has to be a level of, of care because we, we know better. So we do better. So like for yeah. me, I don't plan on necessarily raising my hand to kids. You know what I'm saying? I got whoopings. I was taught too sternly. Um, but I would want to adjust that because you never know how a child takes that. You, you know, mm-hmm. me and you, I, you know, I assume you got some whoopings every now and again too. And we, we turn out great, successful black, black men, but we don't know if that would be the story of our kids if we use the same same tactics same and strategies and methods, right? Yeah. And so for me, it, it, it said a, a lot about, you know, why I do want to sort of change up the style and not because I think that either of my parents met me any ill will. I think they both love me very much, but that's not the point. The point is that there are other methods, there are other ways. I think about... Um, Michael Kyle from uh, my wife and kids and how he, he punishes his kids mentally. Right. Um, And not through a mental abuse, but he'll do little tricks and antics that like really, really like make them think about what they did and why it was wrong. Like I remember um, junior made a bad grade, but he lied about the bad grade. So Michael threw him a party and and invited all the teachers who actually had given him bad (laughs) grades. So he's a sicko. Right. Right. But, but like, 
he didn't touch he didn't touch Junior. He didn't curse him out. But Junior's going to remember how how stupid he looked and felt for the rest of his life, right? Mm-hmm. And and I bet you he'll never lie about those grades again <laughs> because he's going to realize, oh, at some point, all my lies are going to catch up with me, right? Yeah. And so I think that there, I think because of our generation and how we push the bar with so many different things, I think parenting is something that we can push the bar with too. There there are more creative ways uh, to parent, and even with dealing with white supremacy, we understand that you know there are plenty of black kids who are going to get whooped. They're going get talked to sternly and then they're still going to go out go outside in the world and, and still and still stuff. be a nigga you know what i'm saying <laughs> so like it, it, and so in some ways our parents can protect us and make us you know adjust some of our move our moves but at the same time you know white supremacy is white supremacy yeah. you know part part of it is that i could talk to a cop calmly and nicely like my mama taught like my mama taught me and still get killed and so mm-hmm. i think that parents have to realize that and 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 realize hey give us some methods and strategies but the way you deliver those methods and strategies can can be wrapped up in more care care sometimes and and I think that you don't want to you don't want to find yourself in a situation where you know you and your child are both adults and y'all have to even go at it like this right like mm-hmm. even for Kirk to have to say the stuff that he that he said because I feel like this this has been a long standing feud yeah. but I, I I really did feel like Kirk's anger was was there and I'm not even saying it wasn't justified because I have no idea what was going on. But I know for me personally, I never want to get to a point where I have to curse, curse my son, my son or my daughter out. I want to be able to be at a point where I can walk away for a second mm. and then curse to my partner about, about our, about our kid. <laughs> Yo, like, dumb ass kid. Yeah. yeah. Like, get this, get, 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 you, you better get him. You better get him. And, or her. And, 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 but then we find a way to maybe talk calmly later or something yeah. like that. And so I, I think with this whole Kirk situation, um, I'm a Kirky. I'm going to be a Kirky for life. You know what I'm saying? Unless, unless this, this type of stuff continues to happen and people continue to report it. But at the same time, I, and, and, but I'm also not going to hate on Karen because I have no idea what this young brother's story is. But I think that this is a great chance for all of us to look and see what we're doing because I think that everyone who's judging Kirk, let, let the cameras be rolling or the audio be recorded when you've said or done the worst thing to your kid. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Or for, for the kids, let that shit be rolling when you've said the worst thing or done the worst things to your parents. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because um, <laughs> T, Lord yeah. knows, y'all might not look at Scalapita saying if y'all heard <laughs> some of the things I've said and done yeah. regarding, regarding my, my family. So I, I think that we have to remember to have grace, but also to use this moment to have a bigger conversation about toxicity and families, right? Kirk, Kirk and carry on like they're not the focal point. It's it, the focal point is you looking at, at your at, personal relationship yeah, at your own personal relationship and saying, all right, what, what can I do better? What have I done wrong? And what can I do better? Yeah. To strengthen my relationships. And I appreciate everything you said, scholar P because it made me think about a lot because I had the same conversation with my girlfriend um, as we were going to Palm Springs, uh, shout out to the crew. We went ATV and shit. Um, but yeah, we had this conversation cause she was just saying it like there in no way, shape or form. Cause she imagined like, uh, putting her hands on like her future children. And I was like, really? Like you just gonna take it <laughs> off the table completely. Cause like, I, I don't know, like growing up, like I love my sister dearly. Um, and I got a few whoopings myself. I probably got, I got more, I got less than I can count on one hand. So I want to say about four, but I want to say, bro, she didn't got at least 10, 
least 10. But it was like, for me, I, I messed up, but I also learned from her mistakes. So I would look at her or some stuff that she would do. And I'm like, oh, I'm definitely not doing that because I'm going to get in trouble. But it's like my mom would. Oh, it was always like the third thing on the table. Right. It was like there were options. Like unless it was something crazy, it's usually like, OK, you can talk to. And then if you do it again or you do something like it, then you get in on punishment. And punishment usually was like the end all be all. But then, like, if you really went just beyond what you was really supposed to do, that's when you got to the whooping. And it's like, but I'm thinking about it now, like, even when she got whooped, bro, like, I remember she, I think she snuck and we were too young and she was on MySpace and we were supposed to be on MySpace and she made a Facebook too. And it was like, I remember she got in trouble and then she just kept lying and doing stuff. So she got a whooping. But, bro, when I tell you, like, my mom took away her phone, she wasn't allowed to be on a computer. When this girl figured out she can use the internet on the Wii, because no one would ever suspect her using the Wii to use the <laughs> internet, bro. Because nobody was playing the Wii. And she was on the Wii internet, like, messaging people and, like, on Facebook and stuff. And it was like, she was innovative. But it was like, it that whooping wasn't stopping her. But it's like she was talked to. So I don't know exactly what like what would work. And I'm sure that could lead to frustration as a parent. But I think you have to continue to be creative. It's like if we're going to be progressive in all of our ideals. Right. If we're going to get rid of the crown. Right. We're going to get rid of like white supremacy standards. We're going to get rid of all this stuff. We have to be able to start thinking progressively about our parenting. Everything has to start changing. Right. Like everything changes with the times. You have to come up with better methods. And I think at some point whooping was like really something I'm not going to say it came out of slavery, but it was like if I beat you to the point that where you don't want to do something, then at least I've saved your life. Like, I feel like I've heard that before. It's like, OK, if you get whooped here, then you know what you can't do in the real world because those people will kill you. But I think that like we're slowly getting out of that, at least on the physical violence side of things. Right. And I think the conversations have to be an integral part of like discipline. And actually, shout out to Mason. I had a great conversation with them, uh, Mason and Saturn, um, when I was over at their place. And she was just talking about raising her cat. And I didn't know that cats don't have, they don't understand negative discipline. And I, I think that is so interesting to me. Like, they're just fearful. Like, they're just putting fear into them. They don't know, they can't comprehend what they've done wrong. So they only respond to positive affirmation. They only know not to do something because they know the better thing to do because they'll get rewarded for that. And she said that when she found that out, then like her relationship with the pet was so much better. And it's like it was so much more positive. So I, I was just sitting there wondering, like, I wonder if people are like this, like because I've seen it. We've all seen it. Right. And that's why I think punitive measures like the death penalty and all of these different things don't ever really dissuade people from making these actions. Because I think that, like, at the heart of it, like, people are really motivated to to do good more than they're, like, dissuaded to do bad. Like, people know what the repercussions are and they still choose to do that. And it's like, why? So I, I think this was such a fruitful conversation for me because I feel like that took it home because you talked about just, like, and I think this is what people were on Twitter were saying. Like, yeah, the the methods that my parents did do like yeah maybe i turned out fine like we're we're lit people we're lit individuals right but like there there are things like naturally like just like we're supposed to ascend socially and emotionally and uh economically we should be uh 
transcending like with our parent techniques like everything really just has to progress if we're going to continue to like grow and develop as like human beings so like I, I just feel like what you said really hit home because I like I've seen it with my eyes and it's like we're so willing to like or I think so many black people are unwilling to let go of some of those negative things in their childhood that their parents did because they're like I turned out fine but it's like how much better could we have been and it's like how could we have avoided some of those things and just kept these positive relationships i just think about like kirk franklin he arguing with his 33 year old kid saying this so imagine how long he's been doing this right and uh, don't get me wrong i'm sure he has every right to be frustrated but like at some point his tactic has to change if he wants to hold on to this relationship with this this person because like the way he's talking to him clearly hasn't worked because and it can't be the first time i'm not saying that he's a serial like abuser or anything but like i don't know people get frustrated but it's like I don't know, those words probably, they clearly didn't mean anything to him if he was just going to post them online. Right, right. No, absolutely. And, and I love what you said about that nat- natural uh, just progression of, of everything, right? And and I love what you said about the cat, right? Because um, animals animals are just, they things can be so um, easy and simple with, with animals. And we can learn so much from the way that other species interact with the universe. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, so when you think about the, the idea that positive affirmations is, is the way to go versus, you know, um, you know, ne- negative reinforcements, I, I totally get that because I do stuff that I'm not supposed to do all the time. And if, you know, <laughs> if there was an adult that had the, that had the, uh, authority to discipline me in su- such a way, um, I would probably still do most of the things that that I'm doing mm-hmm. doing because you know it's it I, I want to, I want to do them but but I think that you know going back to what you were saying if I saw the benefits and I do see the benefits of doing better things for myself um, <laughs> I'm I'm gonna want to do those good things even more All than right. I want to do those those bad things that, that seem fun temporarily and so you know shout out. Shout out to you. Shout out to Mason. Shout, do you know her cat's name? Uh, Momo. Shout out to Momo. Momo, you teaching the people. Mo, <laughs> see, Momo don't even understand. Momo is about to change mad lives oh, when, when, when we send this out. Because oh, people going to be like, oh, my gosh, it's about to be the Momo method of, of parenting. <laughs> um, it, yeah, yeah. We, you you got to hear first, folks. Momo method. We're we going to tap into that Momo method I this like year. that. It's <laughs> 2021. Momo method. Let, let's do it. Um, but, you know, it, it, when, when we're talking about um, sort of, uh, uh, to- toxicity. We, we, we have to think about um, how parents, parents in some ways, you know, you, you have, we, they have good intentions, uh, but sometimes stuff doesn't land. And I think that uh, you can sort of say the same thing in terms of what was happening with the, with the Grammys. I think that, yeah. you know, there was, maybe an intentionality around social justice. Um, but part of that can feel performative in its own way. Tisha, do you want to sort of tell the people about what I'm talking about at the Grammys and what your thoughts were on it? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think I, little baby's performance was captivating. I think a lot of people saw it through either social media or watching it live. Um, little baby is singing his song, um, I think it's bigger than us, something like that. Um, but it, it's like his social justice song. And you can tell it's it's kind of came from his heart, right? Like you can tell he wrote it. It's from his perspective. He's just pretty much saying like, look, y'all, I had to get it out the mud, but that don't mean y'all should, right? Like 
there, there's really something wrong with this system. And like, I did what I had to do because I had to do what I had to do. But like, we still need to be voting. We still need to be fighting these injustices. We we need to be out in these streets um, and using our voice to make a change. And I really appreciate Lil Baby for that. But his performance, it comes off as performative activism. And I don't think this is on him by any means. Uh, <laughs> Alex said that like she think if he could perform that song in front of a black screen, he would be more than happy to. And I, and I agree. But I think that the theatrics with his performance is like there were he was like rapping at the police and there's like protesters behind him. And then he's on top of this car and it's like on fire and then Killer Mike's there posted up and Tamika Maori's posted up. And um, if you don't know who Tamika Maori is, she's uh, the head of some organization. I don't exactly remember, but she created this thing called Brianna Khan. And like, even off the name, like think you think about any of the cons, you know, like Comic Con, Complex Con, right? They're they're conventions, they're they're uh, they're commercial, right? There's a lot of industries, there's a lot of organizations. They're usually selling things. There might be some workshops, but it's for profit. So think about the idea of Brianna Khan, and think about how we talked about in this podcast how many times like uh, Brianna Taylor's name was commodified and how. It was memefied and how people were just not really at some point we lost the message. Right. We lost her name and it just became like arrest the cops, that, uh, arrest the cops that uh, killed Breonna Taylor. But it wasn't like there wasn't any real action behind it. And we talked about performative activism when Kenny was on. We, we got a good definition. Right. Of like this is activism for clout more than for change. And I just really want to highlight more than anything Tamir Rice's mom. So Tamir Rice was a 12-year-old uh, killed in Cleveland, Ohio. Rest in peace, Tamir Rice. Um, and they, the police said that he looked uh, closer to 20 than 12, right? And it's like that we see how they, they see us. Like we, we can't even be little kids. But she came out and said that she feels like uh, there are just so many people making money off of black death and profiting off of black death and not doing anything to really help them. Um, she calls out Black Lives Matter. She calls out Tamika Maori. She uh, calls out the t- attorneys. And this has always kind of stood out to me that every every case that we've kind of heard of, there's only two attorneys that ever uh, have represented these people. Uh, Benjamin Crump and Lee Merrick. And I mean, what we know about these cases is almost none of them have won. So she was just kind of saying that it feels shady. It feels fishy that like all of y'all are rich. Y'all got a name. Y'all got status. And these families have nothing like Sean King. He's, he's made a whole brand off of this. But the families that he started this for, some of them never even seen the money. So I, I, I definitely feel for so her name is Samaria Rice. I, I want to echo what she said. Um, and this was aimed again at Black Lives Matter. This was aimed at all of your favorite uh, activists that you've heard of. Right. And I think that that's the important thing. Like these these name brand activists. I think there's a problem with somebody being a name brand activist. And I think that that was something that we kind of saw just with the Grammys in general. Right. Like uh, even with her winning the award, like I told you, I, I remember I told Scholar P that her won a uh, record of the year or song of the year. He was like, for what? <laughs> and she had a song called uh, I Can't Breathe. And don't get me wrong. It was a nice little song, right? It's a nice little tune. It was powerful. It was empowering. Um, she, she did her spoken word thing on there. Just talking about how like 
like they she she really wants to rectify these injustices they they need to see black people as people and it was beautiful but when it's a song of the year like that means that it's really broken the internet it's really broken the airwaves that it's everywhere and i feel like they wanted this they made this our protest song they like anointed it it but it's like Tyler P, you was you was with the movement, right? Like you was in the movement, and you didn't even hear hear this song. So imagine how many people haven't. Like the box was sitting right there, bro. Like that that was a song. Like there were so many other songs that I feel like really fit the song of the year, and I feel like they thought this was Billie Holiday's "Strange Fruit," like, and it's not. I feel like it. It was so inorganic, and I feel like that's just the the way that the Grammys, but not only the Grammys, bro, like, we saw the NBA do it. We've seen the NFL do it. We've seen all these corporations do it. So I think it's just an extension of that. But I, I feel like it was, it just was ugly how I saw saw them do that, like, at the Grammys. Like, Beyonce went in, um, she won something off for Black Parade, and it's like, it wasn't even that good of a song. Beyonce has had so many songs and she hasn't, none of her best shit has ever competed, but it's like, y'all, y'all, it's like a giveaway. It's like, y'all just gave her that. Like, and I, I think that like, I don't know. I it just don't sit right with me. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I just want to hear your thoughts. Like, am I, I tripping? No, no, I mean, it, it, here's the thing, right? Like I, it's it's a tough thing for me, right? I can't I can't speak to the lawyers. I think that some of these activists, like I think I I think that Sean and Tamika, uh, and I know Killer Mike was there, yeah. and I, I've seen and I've seen the mix. I've seen the mixed bag, right? So I've seen them do things that actually do seem genuine, but then but then they they are a brand in and of themselves, and so there's going to be a lot of opportunities, and and you know they might capitalize off of it in some cases, they might not in some cases, and what I and I think that this is a a, a gut check for anyone who claims to be an activist, right? Mm-hmm. Like you got to make sure that you're starting at the root because. You know, I like. Let's say it's a Brianna Khan. Like, if you know, if part of those, if a many of those proceeds went to efforts that you know, you know, did stuff with Brianna Taylor's family, then I, I guess that's fine. But, but I guess my question becomes: when you're such a big name and you have this platform and you are, and you do have this brand, are you teaming up with the mothers and the families of these fallen people? And are you making that as public? And is, and is it super clear that anything that you're doing is being guided by these families? Because ultimately, whether it's from social media clout to financial uh, gain, you are benefiting off of the deaths of, of their children. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and I don't think the connection there is as clear. Um, and I know I have some friends who got mad at me when I, we were talking about Jay-Z partnering with the NFL and I was like, well, why not, you know, really have a good conversation with Kaepernick? Um, and, you know, not to say that Kaepernick should, should drive drive what he was saying, but like understanding the people who are very impacted uh, by these movements that you're now um, making yourself a part of, right? Yeah. Um, and so if you're thinking about being an activist and you want and you want to partner with this idea of justice work, you know, you got to start at the root. And I think it goes back to going back to the Grammys. Like you can give us a Black Lives Matter performance, but like can can black artists actually win the awards that they're supposed to? Yeah. But can we start there? Because that's what black that's what black artists want. That's the, that it's a music show. Let's start off mm-hmm. with with actually honoring black 
black artists. I remember, I, I think the angriest I've been at the Grammys or when watching the Grammys is when SZA was, SZA was nominated for multiple awards. Bro, so many. Brought her grandmother there. And, and you got to understand this, black people aren't don't black people deserve stuff just because we've suffered but we but when we want we something we've earned it too we've earned it it's merit mm-hmm. her her control album was a vibe the whole summer it was a culture shifter like it, it was everything that it needed to be and more yeah. and they you can do all these black lives matter protests pro- protest songs but you can't even honor the artist's artists that that you should honor you know what i'm saying i'm tired of seeing mad people come come to the grammys and be like yeah i won the award but beyonce deserved to win the award like how many times does this black woman have to hear hear that before the people who make these decisions recognize and acknowledge her greatness it's too much bro i had so many shows bro like not only the grammys the vmas the like every y'all gonna say this at every show like when y'all gonna rectify this bro like and it's crazy, and I, I really like that point too, bro. Because it's like, why can't we win when it's like, why can't it just be like us being black and living, right? Like, why does it have to be about black death? Why does that? That's the I can't breathe. The song the, the, that wins, right? Like, I don't know, man. Like, it just it just don't <laughs> sit right with me. It's not, it's funny. It's funny. And, and and you know what, T, I also want to go back to the activist point you made, too, because, you know, I think people can build a brand based off the treatment of police brutality and not the prevention. Um, and, and, and it's weird, it's weird because I, I think that, you know, we know that things like qualified immunity are the things that really you know, keep police feeling emboldened and justified mm-hmm. in doing what, what they, what they uh, do. And I've heard, I've heard the a different side about our different perspective about qualified immunity from some of my cop friends, but ultimately if a cop feels like someone is a threat and that their life was at stake, um, they can, they can sell it or say that in court. And all you got to do now is paint the black person as villainous, as dangerous, and then their actions are justified and then they're acquitted and there are no charges brought. And so my, the thing becomes, instead of putting all your efforts into being the, the representative for all these different families, why don't y'all put all your, your efforts to paying lobbyists and to, yes. um, and trying to change policies like that that ultimately allow cops to feel more emboldened. And I think that that's sort of the point, right? Yes. Like I, I know, I know that, uh, it's uh, Tamir Rice's mother. Uh, she actually fired, I think it was Benjamin Crump that she, yep. that she fired a few months into to him working for to her. And it's just like, yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I actually just remembered. There's a statement that they put out. Um, do you mind if I read it? Oh, yeah, of course. Go ahead. Yeah, so there's an official statement from Samaria Rice, and, uh, mother of Tamir Rice, and Lisa Simpson, the mother mother of Richard Reicher. Um, it says, Tamika D. Mallory, uh, Mallory, I'm sorry, uh, Sean King, Benjamin Crump, Lee Merritt, Patrice Cullors, Melina Abdullah, and the Black Lives Matter Global Network need to step down, stand back, and stop monopolizing and capitalizing our fight for justice and human rights. We never hired them to be our representatives in the fight for justice for our dead loved ones murdered by the police. The activists, in quotes, have have events in our city and have not given us anything substantial for using our loved ones, images and names on their flyers. The attorneys in our fights are also misleading, misleading the impact 
uh, they're also misleading the impacted families. In the case of Tamir Rice, it was even questionable. This is what you were saying as to whether Benjamin Crump even knew the laws in depth in the state of Ohio. I fired him six to eight months into Tamir's case. We don't need or want y'all parading in the streets, accumulating donations, platforms, movie deals off the death of our loved ones while the families and the communities are left clueless and broken. Don't say our loved ones names, period. And that's our truth. Um, and then they have some demands that ask for them to step out of the spotlight of their fights and not to do any more interviews, make any more T-shirts or press conferences in the name of their loved ones. They ask for Black Lives Matter L.A., to pay Lisa Simpson because they raised $5,000 for her son's funeral and never got a penny from it. Um, they asked for financial assistance to the Tamir Rice Foundation because um, we know that uh, that the national or the global Black Lives Matter network received $90 million and counting. I know somebody just did something. Oh, oh, uh, the weekend just uh, donated money to the Black Lives Matter Foundation. And actually... I'm sorry, I don't want to jump too far away from this, but I, I this is in or pertains to the Grammys. The weekend um, was boycotting the Grammys, and it's like it's also interesting because I think that's kind of performative activism in a way too. He he's like on his social justice tip right now, but he's only on it because he feels an injustice. It's like he he's Malcolm X now that like, or he's Martin Martin Luther King now that like. He's not feel he doesn't feel like he's getting the status that he should or the recognition that he should. Now it's a black thing. Um, so I, I just think that those things are interesting because then they go on and ask Megan, who wins her first Grammy, what do they think about the weekend boycotting? Like, what's she supposed to say? Like, oh, I won three. Like, uh, sucks to be him. Like, no. Nah. And it, it puts black artists in uh, weird spaces because it's like, again, it's performative and it, it, it puts this black woman who just won in a bind and makes it seem like, oh, she's not for the culture. And I, I, I think that all of it, all of it is just kind of tied to that same thing. No, no, I, absolutely. I, I remember because it, it has to be someone who, who wins in the system, but who still hates the system. And, and is like, the system doesn't validate you. I remember mm -hmm. when Drake won won a Grammy I think it was last year and he was just like these don't mean nothing like yeah. these don't validate you these don't mean nothing and it was great because here here I am I'm winning in the system I'm a beast in the system yeah. but I'm gonna tell you right now the system doesn't mean anything it invalidates so many of you all and it'll make you feel like you're you're not the artist that that, that you actually are and I appreciate that I think I've seen Drake eating cereal and, and drinking out of his Grammys just <laughs> to diminish the value that that they have and I think that it's gonna take stuff stuff like that to to you know hold the the Grammys more accountable and then you know and I know we're we're, we're jumping back and forth between the the, the performative nature of the Grammys and the performative nature of these activists. But like when you're talking about all this money that these activists are making T it, it's just so crazy to me because I, I think I, I would think the first thing these activists would do is to go and say, Hey, look, like, first of all, how can we get justice? And then secondly, how do we handle these financial things? Mm -hmm. How do we make sure that 
that, you know, your your child has a legacy because we we think about estates when we think about artists like a Tupac or Biggie or whatever. But what we're finding is that the the deaths of these black children, these black children are getting commercialized, commercialized and memorialized in a way where there actually is money. There's actually a capitalist, uh, uh, you know, sort of ecosystem that's developing off the off the deaths of these uh, black children. And so my thing is, I think. Yes, if your child dies and it gets a lot of a lot of headway, it's going to become bigger than you. It's going to become bigger than your family. And like, I don't personally think that capitalism can be stopped, can be stopped because people are going to make T-shirts on the side of the street and sit and try to solicit people like that's yeah. going to happen. It's just, just like when the Lakers won a championship or with any <laughs> other thing that's pop culture. That, yeah. People, people, a market is going to develop. But but the but the concern the concern in the way our society should handle it is we should have a system in place where these, where, where there's something, an estate or something that's made so that like when t-shirts or, or conventions or movie deals or any of this stuff is, is being made, the majority of it is going to the pockets of these families and not to activists. Yes. And, and I, cause I don't, I, cause I, I just don't think the cat, the capitalism is going to stop, but we, but we as a society can say, Hey, look, if we're gonna if we're gonna memorialize these people, and yes, there's money in memorializing people, then their family is gonna eat off eat off the deaths of, of the children for the rest of their life. Because you know what, all the money in the world can't bring their children back. But you know what, we are going to make the state and this country pay for the rest the rest of its existence for mm-hmm. what for for stealing your child away from you. Um, and I think that if activists looked at it like that and looked at these families as as folks that they need to bring into the fold, and not only bring into the fold but take the lead the lead from i think that things can be different but as long as we're we're looking at it looking at people as opportunities and the deaths of these children as opportunities um then it's going to be a capitalist market where our families are being ignored there's no reason that any money should be raised for a funeral by an organization that that claims to support black lives and the family doesn't even see that see that money It's, it's despicable absolutely bro absolutely i think it just is a larger critique of like these 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 organizations and these people like um, getting not only celebrity status, but like clout and, and capital off of it and then not reaching the people that it's supposed to. And I think that we have to really think about that. It's like the larger things get, the more like commercial it gets. Uh, It's like funny that like black lives matter is now kind of like the red cross. And it's like the NAACP and don't get me wrong. The NAACP does amazing things and has done amazing things in history. Right. But it's like the minute that it became the go to organization is when it was no longer the the revolutionary organization that it once was. It starts getting money. And I think like what I know and what I've studied through black studies is when when our programs and our things become successful and money comes into it usually those that money is backed by white donors and you know when you're when you give money you have a say and you have a stake in something so it's like now these these places and these people are tied to this money if they want this money to keep coming in they have to kind of do what they say and they lose that that potential that they once had to really make strong and impactful change for people um, so I would just want to say be wary of anybody that's like a, a activist, um, a celebrity activist for sure. And and their activism is really only for show. I think if you only see cameras there and you only see like, like, I don't know, just things for profit, just know that like 
that probably isn't really where you want to put your money and that isn't really what you want to support because you don't you never know if it's really getting there like i think about the red cross and like when uh i think it was like a haiti earthquake it's like so many people gave money to the red cross because it's like the one you know and you're like okay i you think you know where your money's going but in reality you don't because it's like it a lot of the times it just goes to the head honchos and some of it trickles down to the people and that's uh disheartening but yeah I just want to say, like, beware of performative activism, right? I think that, like, a lot of people love to see, like, the little baby thing. And I think it was cool. But it's, like, the more, I, I don't know. It's just, like, I don't know. I don't know exactly what I'm trying to say is just the fact that, like, if it feels funny, it probably is. Right. I know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I, I, I just appreciate this conversation because I never really thought about the, the market, the market that was there um, and, you know, black and black death mm-hmm. and black trauma. But it's but, you know, uh, you and I had talked about, um, you know, our thoughts on the Billy Holiday versus the, the U.S. And you were telling me I need to see it. And I and I saw it and, you know, love the movie. It was a great movie. But now I'm also starting to think about her state hopefully make money off that movie mm-hmm. because a lot of actors, producers, and directors are about to make money. Hulu's about to make money. And so like, you know, we, and, and we're, we're, people are profiting off of this woman's horrific life story, mm-hmm. horrific and beautiful because of the impact that she made. But like, she had such a crazy life and we we're getting to see it and see a perspective of it. And there's, and it's still capitalism because it's still a business. And mm. it's like, I never really thought about the deaths of all these black children also being a business that people capitalize off of in this particular way. So, you know, I, I benefited a lot from this conversation. So I know our audience w- will as well. And I think the, the key point here too is do your research, like whatever, it, do your research and we should continue to be creative about uh, these systems of our own that, that we produce to make sure that people are getting the things that, they, that they're owed. So shout out to all the families of um, the, the black children who have been stolen from us. We love you. We support you. We look forward to hopefully new, new systems and new, new ways of interacting with you so that you get, you get um, some hint or light of justice, because obviously we know you'll never fully get the justice that you deserve because you can't bring your loved one, loved one back. So we support you and we lift you up. Um, but with, with that being said, we would, we are going to highlight, um, and, and this is our section of the podcast called spotlight, uh, where we, where we, uh, shout out, um, different things happening and, and give people credit. You know, we, we, we give them a roast at the beginning of the episode, but we also got to put the spotlight and gives people someone or something credit. And so with this being women's history month, we're going to be spotlighting women and all the great things women have done and continue to do. Um, and this week we have to say that black women, as always, y'all showed up heavy. Um, we're going to focus on the Grammys today because there were a lot of records that were broken. Mm-hmm. T, can I just go over a few of them? Yes, please. Is that please. all right? Is that yes, all right? So yes. first of all, we, we want to say um, that Meg the Stallion and Beyonce uh, were the first female artists to ever win the category for best rap performance. Yes. Um, and it was a savage remix. Um, you know, uh, it was, it, and that took over the, the culture and the country. And so they got, you know, the Grammys got that right. Um, 
And then you, there's there was little Blue Ivy. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We we love. Um, and when she won an award, she was actually the world's youngest uh, credited winner at the Grammy. Um, and she because she was a nine year old when she won uh, her her Grammy. Um, I, I think it was Brown Skin Girl. Brown Skin was, Girl, yeah, yeah, Brown yeah. Skin Girl. Uh, so shout out to Blue Ivy and her excellent mother for crediting her and, and giving her uh, that and building onto her legacy. Like y'all need to make sure y'all leaving stuff in your kids' names and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and then Beyonce actually tied for um, one of the most uh, one of the most Grammy wins. She it, it, she was tied with someone at for a woman with another woman at 27 but when she won her 28th she broke the record for women and now she's tied with men like quincy jones yeah. um for the record of the most grammys won yeah um, I, I think and, she's the uh they're tied for second right now i think they both have 28 i believe yeah 28 um yep. so she's the the most winningest woman and then uh, tie for second, so she's coming for that first place. I think it's like a some classical composer who has a, a few more than they right. do right now. Right, right. So and so that that's easy work. That's slight work for the queen. She's nowhere near done. Done. I I don't think. Um. And then you know it's broom black. You know and uh you know we're <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna celebrate all women. Um. Uh. You know. They, look at how excited I sound. Um. Listen. Listen. You you can't you hear it? Um. <laughs> Taylor Swift, she now ties for the Guinness World Records uh, for the most album of the year awards, one of the Grammys. So, shout out Ooh. to Taylor. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Congratulations. And I just um, want to say that, like, a few of those should have definitely went toward um, Beyonce. Beyonce um, should have already broken the record for the most Grammys. That's, that's, that's what I'll say absolutely. about that. And I, I think the most disappointing thing is that like Beyonce has only won like one of the big three categories. So it was that like uh best album of the year, best record of the year and best song of the year. She's only one best song of the year. And that's one time. And she won that for single ladies. And like, don't get me wrong. Single ladies was a bop. It broke the internet, but it's like, she is so talented, but she's always relegated to like, the urban contemporary or the R&B song or she, she, they don't put, just put some respect on her name. And I, I think it's just really disrespectful because like Taylor Swift has won so many album of the years and some of them, I don't know if she, I don't know. I don't know if she deserved them. Beyonce, Beyonce galvanizes people of all races, sexualities, sexes, uh, religion, like Beyonce is glo- Beyonce is a different type of global. Mm-hmm. Taylor Swift is a very incredible and talented artist, but Taylor Swift doesn't move black women like Beyonce moves white girls. It, it Ooh, just it, it's just not talk about it's just it. not even comparable. It's not comparable. It's it's not comparable. Y'all are disrespecting Beyonce. She should have already won the the records for the most Grammys because she she should have gotten a, a few album of the years. Beyonce, mm-hmm. Beyonce, er, people. I have seen people say, "I will bleed for a Beyonce." You understand? <laughs> I, I don't think people get that. And these aren't these aren't black people because you know we we not really we don't. You yeah, know, yeah, that's yeah, not yeah, our yeah. thing. But I, I've I've seen white women be like, "Oh, Beyonce, Beyonce accidentally got got uh, cut while she was doing a show. She she bled and people." 
people who are not black were willing to cut themselves for Beyonce <laughs> because Beyonce accidentally was, was, was bleeding from an accident. Um, Beyonce is different y'all Beyonce is different. So, you know, I'm glad spotlight on Beyonce spotlight on the things that the Grammys did get right. But this also might have to be somewhat of a roast because y'all disrespecting Beyonce. Y'all, y'all disrespect. Even if you're not a Beyonce fan, like I wouldn't even consider myself as a part of the beehive, but like Mm -hmm. I respect, I love her music and y'all got to give this woman her credit. So brewing black, brewing black, we love and, and we love and support you, Beyonce. You 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 probably only get half the credit you deserve, and we're gonna keep pushing until they give you uh, more credit. So that's all I got to say about that. Yeah. Talk of Taylor. Taylor got the most most album of the year awards. One of the games, boy. <laughs> yeah, that's straight cat, boy. man. That's disgusting. Uh, but yeah, shout out to the Beehive. We're gonna lob y'all lob this to the Beehive. Please promote us like y'all promote y'all girl. <laughs> that's all I got to say. <laughs> basically basically um well look t this has been a good show uh you we y'all understand we went through the fire fire in the rain with this with this episode trials and tribulations Um, (laughs) but 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 god but god is good the universe is good we're good um and i think that we had a bunch of conversations this was definitely a a a deeper a deeper topic uh podcast um so you know if you need to skip through any of it, cause, cause some of these conversations could even be triggering. Um, but, but I think that all these conversations are, are things that are, are needed in the culture. And so, uh, we hope that you, you know, give us more, um, dialogue and give us some of your thoughts, mm-hmm. um, and, and just be looking out, um, for different ways that we're going to be engaging with y'all, man. Cause we're, we're coming for it and we appreciate all the love. Absolutely. Absolutely. Again, we're always grown. We're always looking to get better. Um, we're open to any critique, any any insight. Um, we're open to collabs and different things like that. And that's what we're going to be pushing for in the future. Um, if you think somebody should be on the show, please recommend it. Um, we're looking for artists. We're looking for scholars. We're looking for activists. We're looking for um, artists in whatever, whatever type of creative you are. Um, we want to give people a platform to share their work, to share their story. Um, and to help shape and transform the world around them because that's what this podcast is for and that's what we do here at Bruin Black and just like Scholar Peace said um, this, this show we, we definitely faced some trials and tribulations but shout out to Beyonce because we took lemons and turned that shit into lemonade well, so, <laughs> well. drink up y'all I hope y'all enjoyed this show um, so like we like to say keep the coffee Black. Black. <laughs> and we like our podcast like we like our women. Black. <laughs> All right, y'all. Thank you for rocking with us, and we will see y'all soon. See you. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Uh, go green. <laughs>